You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. Praise the Lord. I feel the Lord's been wanting to do something. I felt it when I got here. I've been feeling this word burrowing in my soul for several days now, and I've been waiting for tonight. I've been getting through each service, uh, waiting for this moment tonight. I feel the Lord's wanting to take you to a deeper dimension of the Holy Ghost tonight. I'm inviting you into a deeper dimension. I'm going to ask this one request. I beg of you, please. Do not just sit here. Don't just take this as another service. The Lord's going to take us to a deeper dimension of his spirit. If you will be obedient to what the Lord wants to do this evening, you'll respond to what God has to say. Not a message, but you respond to God. God's going to take you to a deeper dimension of his spirit. I feel virtue here. I feel healings here. But none of that matters. What I feel most is the presence of God. I want you to have a deeper experience with his presence tonight than you've ever had in your life. I'm going to say that one more time. I believe that you're going to have one of the deepest experiences with God than you've ever had in your life tonight. Amen. If you'll remain standing, I want to go really quickly. First Samuel chapter nine, verse one. It says, there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Aviel, the son of Zerar, the son of Bahorath, the name or the son of Apia, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power. And he had a choice and handsome son whose name was Saul. There was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. I want to minister tonight, and I I please just ask you that you would tune in. The Lord is doing something right now. I've been feeling it all week. I want to minister the doorframe of the eternal. There's a doorframe tonight that we need to be measuring ourselves against. And I hope this is what my prayer is. That we would come here, I don't care if you've been in church for 30 years, 40 years, 30 minutes. I ask that you would humble yourself tonight. The appropriate response when God walks into the room, everywhere you can find in the Bible, people always fell to their knees. They humbled themselves. They began to repent. Because when you really catch light of who God is and who we are in His presence, the only appropriate response is the hitting of knees and saying, God, I want to bask in Your glory. I'm not worthy of it, but You saw fit to come into this room. Lord, You saw fit to leave heaven. Lord, that heavenly throne room. And You came into the room where I was. a wretched sinner Lord just flesh and you still came here so I'm going to give you all my praise I'm going to give you all my worship I'm going to humble myself in your presence I'm nothing but dust amongst you God but thank you for coming here I humble myself before you I humble myself amongst my brothers and sisters who's made in the mighty image of God Lord I pray that you come in this place you baptize us Lord Jesus with your presence Lord Lord, I love you. I thank you. I praise you for what you're going to do here tonight. Lord, I wish there was any other way to preach this than from behind a pulpit. But Lord, you chose the foolishness of preaching. So Lord, I'll be the fool to stand in your presence tonight. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. He may be seated. Thank you, Jesus. 
There is an age-old tradition that many families adhere to whenever they begin having children. This tradition involves marking your child's height on a door frame. I didn't even know such a tradition existed until visiting a friend's house one day after school, and upon walking into their kitchen, I saw a piece of door trim that had nine years or so worth of markings on it. I could see old carvings that said one year, two year, three years, and on. So I asked my friend about it, and he sheepishly said, ah, my parents used this door frame as a ruler to measure my growth. If such a tradition existed, I imagine in around 1000 BCE, then the door frame inside the house of Kish would have boasted a mark higher. It would have been a, a mark that he would have been proud of. It would have been a mark that I'm sure he wanted to show off because the Bible tells us he was a mighty man of power. And I I imagine if you walked into the house of Kish, Kish would come and say, come look at our doorframe, look at the heights and the stature of my handsome son, Saul. Notched out of the wood on that doorframe would bear the measure of a man named Saul who was from shoulders upwards taller than everybody else in all of Israel. This would have no doubt mattered a tremendous amount to Kish, whom the Bible said was a mighty man. Kish would have no doubt had talks with his son, Saul. Saul, listen, you need to go and you need to represent. We're from the smallest tribe, after all. The Benjamites aren't really a whole lot to brag about. There's not a whole lot of us. We're of the smallest tribe, but you're the tallest one in this smallest tribe. So you need to go out. You need to represent us well. You need to make sure that we look good in front of all the other tribes. You need to make sure that when you go out that you represent the highness of the Kish household. Make sure you let everybody know that we are not just the smallest smallest tribe, but we can produce the biggest men. Make sure you go out there and let them know that even though we're from the smallest tribe, we are somebody's. Kish would no doubt boast of his son's good looks, his immense height, his physical prowess. And when he discovered his son would become king, there would be a level of pride, I imagine, that would well up inside of a father. My boy is a giant. He's from a small tribe, but that doesn't matter anymore because my son is tall and he's a king. And this pride would well up inside of the household of Kish. It would well up within the, the household of Saul. Saul would be filled with insecurities and prides. His entire ambition would be to go out and to represent not God, but his tribe and how small it was. His entire ambition was to go out filled with pride to show how amazing they were. Even though we're a small tribe, we have something we've got to prove. Even though we're just little bitty nobodies, we have something to prove to the rest of the world. Let's go and show how big we can be because we're kings here. That's my boy, Kish would say. Mankind's Achilles heel has always been, however, our innate desire to look upon stature as the ruler to which we measure success. And if we're all really honest, we're a little embarrassed to be a part of the United Pentecostal Church International. We're a little embarrassed to be a part of the oneness group of people because we don't have TV shows. We don't, not a whole lot of people know about us. We don't have access to the White House. So if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we'll begin to measure ourselves against a doorframe that we were never designed to measure ourselves against. If we're not careful, we will allow pride to well up in us. We're the smallest tribe in North America. We have to prove ourselves. We have to show the world that we're somebody. We have better standards than anybody else. 
We have more truth than every other denomination. We have truth, but we don't have it all truth. And we're arrogant when we say, oh, poor thing, look at them. They just don't have all truth. Well, neither do we. Have you figured out the whole Bible yet? You know truth in pockets and segments. But what we've done is we've looked at other denominations and say, oh, poor little things, look at them. They don't know any better. And then we have our conferences. We have our camp meetings. We have our church services. And we say, that's my boy. Look how much deeper we are than everybody else. Look at how much powerful we are because we know there's one God. We know that we're baptized in the name of Jesus. We know that we're supposed to speak in tongues. That's my boy. We can have doctrine and still be filled with pride and miss the presence of God. Our Western civilization measures the stature of an individual against the doorframe of their culture. High GPAs, charismatic personalities, voted most likely to succeed. Received your degree, doors are going to open. Great career, high-paying job. Landed a good-paying job, future's going to be secure. Big house, high-end car, respected by those around you. 401K, you're set. You've got it all. This is what we measure ourselves against. We have all of these things. That's in the world. But what I'm burdened about is that has crept into the church where it has never been supposed to be at. What we do is we say, look and listen how big our church is. Listen to how many we're running. We're in a building program because we just can't contain all the souls. And if we're honest, now not everybody does this, I'm not making a blanket statement, but if we're honest, we have a lot of people that are really just bragging because we're from the smallest tribe. Look at the size of my church. That's my boy. Or listen to how long I pray. Hey, let me tell you about my longest fast. Huh. Let me tell you about the length of. Let me tell you about the height of. How many riot revivals did you preach last year? I love it, man. See, I'm not a pastor. I don't get people asking me how big is my church. I get people asking me this question. How many revivals did you preach last year? This is what I get asked as evangelists. How often did you fly? Did you preach in so-and-so's church? Oh, you're from Louisiana. You haven't preached for POA yet? Huh. Let me just be quite blunt with you. It makes me sick. There is another door frame. My question is this. If society's depiction of stature were the standards to which we compare ourselves, then shouldn't 1 Samuel 17 read very differently than it does? Because if Kish, if his mighty son, handsome, the door frame, the door notch up here was 20 years old, taller than anybody in Israel, if that was the most important thing in all the Bible, then Saul should have been facing a giant. Saul should have walked out there and looked at a giant eye to eye. And yet he sat there trembling because the door frame to which he'd been measured by his whole life didn't matter much when it came down to what really mattered. There was somebody else out there, the Bible said, was small and ruddy. His door frame would have been down here somewhere. And for some reason, God chose this height over this height. God has not asked me in my prayer meetings how many revivals I've preached. 
The Lord has not asked me. Whose churches have you been in? Have you preached to a thousand yet? God hasn't asked me. Oh, you haven't preached camp meetings? Wait until you get there, then I'll really anoint you. God's been asking me, how low have you been yet? Saul was a giant himself, yet the Bible said that he was greatly afraid. The mark on our doorframe means nothing unless it's an eternal mark. Goliath has no respect for your stature. Your adversary could not care less how much money you made last year. Hear me, this makes the devil uncomfortable, but he could not care less how many church services you were in last year. It makes him uncomfortable that you're here, don't get me wrong, but he does not care. I've seen more backsliders in a church service filled with apathy, filled with pride, sitting here, posh with their legs crossed, listening to the glory divine word of God. The word is always good, but we say, oh, poor soul, that wasn't the best preaching I've ever heard. How dare us? How dare us when we're quoting scripture say it wasn't good? How dare us when the presence of God falls into a room and we sit here and say, I felt it all before. This is nothing new. It is nothing more than a high person. Saul would represent. He would be the personified version of the mindset of Israel. Too high. Not enough low. God, we don't need you. What we need is a really tall king. And the Lord is sitting there and says, I will not match your highness. For I am lowly. And I reject the proud. And I raise up the humble. So if that's what you choose, I give you full dignity to have what you want. But I will not be there. Because I pull up, my spirit is water and it pulls up in low places. My spirit cannot pull up on that mountain that you think you are. Trust me, it makes me uncomfortable to even preach about humility because in the grand scheme of things, who am I? Why did God have to choose a platform? The platforms begin to make me uncomfortable. The more and more I understand God, I begin to think, what am I doing up here when God is in the room? I shouldn't even be here. And trust me, I'll make this promise to you. When he begins to move, I'll shut my mouth because what can I say in his presence? But I am burdened. I've gone from church to church and I've seen wells up of people getting more and more prideful, more and more boastful. And I've seen it. I have preached here. I'm going to shock some of you. I've been asked to preach in non-denominal churches where a young man saw me preaching online and he reached out to me and he said, I had no idea that I was supposed to be baptized in the name of Jesus. I was baptized in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Ghost. He reached out to me and said, I've been wrong all these years. And I was pricked in my heart and I was humbled that a man would confess a wrong that he'd been raised on his whole life. So I reached back out to him and I said, bro, I said, we've all done it. We're striving for that mark. I said, there's been things I've been wrong. And I said, thank you for humbling yourself. He sent me a video later that afternoon and Brother Romine, the video was him being baptized by his pastor in the name of Jesus Christ. They asked me to go and preach in their church. And here's what I want to shock you with. I was in a non-denominal church where they didn't even preach truth. And they were so hungry and humbled. And they said, we didn't know the word of God said all this. And there was such a deep move of God in that place. And yet I go to some UPC churches. 
where we sit here and we're like, oh, we're the best. Listen to our music. We've got the best preaching in all the world. And I sit here and I'm comparing side by side and I'm saying, wait, something don't feel right here. And I've asked the Lord, I said, what was the difference over there? And what's the difference over here? And the Lord began to deal with me and he said, they humbled themselves. He said, and I'll pull up where people humble themselves. But where people are marked up here, they've measured themselves against the doorframe of something that I've never intended them to be measured against. I can't go there. They don't really want me. So what is the fundamental difference between the terrified giant Saul and the courageous yet average-sized David? We vividly see the mentality of Saul just before David goes up against Goliath in 1 Samuel 17, 38. It says, so Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a bronze helmet on his head, and he also clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them so David took them off Saul you're still hung up on appearances and statures I'm not going to put this on I'm not putting anything on I'm just going to go out there who I am in the presence of this giant you're still holding on to insecurities of being from the smallest tribe so much that you got focused on the height of your stature you're still measuring things by heights and cubits and if you're really honest Saul you want to put your armor on me so that I can go have a victory and everybody think it was you Because if I put that helmet on, they'll think it was you on that field. And you're still here trying to live vicariously through everybody else's anointing and lowliness. You're still measuring things, Saul. I have a revelation of God's heart, however. You see, when God told the prophet to anoint me in 1 Samuel 16, 7, it says, look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him, for the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord is looking on the heart. While you're trying to put on me your armor, I've already heard what God cares about. I've been in the presence of God, and he told me, I'm not looking at your height. I'm not measuring you on the doorframe of quiche. I'm not measuring you against your society. I don't even care if the giant's six feet taller than you. What I care about is you've been sitting in my presence and you don't think you're better than the giant. You don't think you're better than Saul. You just want me and that's why I'll use you. I'm your prize and that's why I'll anoint you. You just want to be in my presence. That's why I'll pull up on top of you. David, That's why you'll be a man after my own heart. I already see you're a failure yourself. What is man that thou art mindful of him? You're right. But what I care about is the fact that when you fail, you'll hit your knees and repent, David. I see your tendencies, David. I see your faults. I see your flaws, David. And I love you because you see them too. Please don't get out of touch with the fact that you're flawed. Please don't lose sight of the fact that you're dust. You may be filled with the Holy Ghost. You may have a long tenure. You may have a long job description of who you are and what you've done. You may have all of that. But at the end of the day, you and I are nothing. 
And the sooner we get that revelation, the sooner you and I can hit our knees and say, God, who am I in the grand scheme of things? And God will say, that's the heart to which I choose. That's the place where I'll come and fall. But unless we get to that place, we will not have moves of God. We'll have moves of man. King Saul, where you and I are fundamentally different is you're still measuring yourself against the doorframe of your daddy's house, Keish. You're still dealing with the fact that you're insecure about being from the smallest tribe. However, I'm measuring myself against the doorframe of the eternal. I'm the shortest man from the biggest tribe of Judah. Our tribe is bigger than yours, but I'm really small in the grand scheme of things, and I'm perfectly fine with accepting that fact. In fact, I believe that's why God has chosen me. You're still hung up on rulers. I'm hung up on being ruled. You're measuring yourself against your doorframe. I've measured myself against God, and I've found His Highness, for some reason, likes to come here. So that's who I identify with. The enemy of your soul has no respect for the height of your bank accounts, the height of your education. The the enemy of your soul does not care if you have a card in your back pocket that says you're licensed with the United Pentecostal Church International. The enemy of your soul does not care your degree. doesn't care if you can preach better than anybody. It doesn't care about all that stuff. What he cares about is your height. Now, I'll admit, I was a little jealous when I went to my friend's house and then I went back home and I realized my parents never did this tradition with me and my sister. We didn't have a marked up door frame. If you knew my father, John Holloway, who liked his grass lines cut in a perfect straight line, you would know that there would be no markings on our door frame. And I have continued that tradition because I am a flawed perfectionist. And I didn't fully know why we didn't have a little growth rate ruler on our door frame until many years later when I was sitting in the kitchen talking to my mom as a 17-year-old boy, and I was asking her, Mom, I just I don't know which college should I attend when I graduate. Well, I don't know what career I'm supposed to choose. I see all my friends. They've got it all figured out. When will I get married? Who am I going to get married? We live in a town of 2,000 people. There's nobody here. We live, we're in the smallest, we have the smallest church in our entire section and within our district. Where am I going to work? What ministry does God have for me, to which my mother graciously listened. And finally, when I was all done, my mother, who was at that time drying dishes, she had washed, she looked over at me, and without missing a beat, she rocked my world in 19 words. She said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things are going to be added unto you. And at that moment, I realized I'm not being measured against the doorframe. My mom's measured me against the word of God, and she's looking at how passionately I'll seek God's kingdom and how passionately I'll be righteous, how I'll take care of my family and how I'll treat other people. That's what they looked at me. I remember my dad sitting down with me one day and he said, son, I don't care what you do. Just live for God. I don't care what career you pick, but please live for God. Whatever you do, if you preach, fine, but whatever you do, please don't just preach for the crowds. He said, don't ever darken that pulpit unless you've been in a prayer room. Don't ever reach for a soul unless you've been in the street region for a soul. I was measured against a much different doorframe. We didn't have a doorframe to call our own because for the first two years of my life, my father traveled from city to city as an evangelist. 
Then from three to five, my dad pastored a church in a small town just outside of Alexandria. Then for one year, at the direction of Brother Tenney, he said, I need you to go help a church in Ohio. And my dad packed everything up and brought us to Ohio for six months. And then we came back and we settled in a little bitty old town in the middle of nowhere. And that's where my father pastored for the next 30 years. And that would be the doorframe I saw that my dad cared about. And that was the doorframe that I began to look at. I looked at my grandfather. And if you don't have this lineage, I hate even saying this because if you're, if you're a first generation, it does not matter. The Word of God is your doorframe. I'm just telling you what the epiphany I had. The doorframe I've been measured against, I began to look and I saw my grandfather plant churches. I saw my, my grandfather on my mom's side. He would go into the bathroom for three hours a day. We didn't know where Papa Diaz was until I'd walk past the door and underneath the crack I would see his shoes and I would ask my mom, what's Papa been doing in there? She said, this is his prayer time. 75 years old in a wheelchair on his knees and he would pray in there for three hours a day. He was showing me an eternal door frame. My grandfather would go out and he would serve people. He, my grandfather on my dad's side would go and he would look at people and they would be of different ethnicities and he would tell me one day, he said, son, he said, see these people of different colors, different races. He said, that's the image of God. <laughs> He said, these are beautiful people, and they deserve the gospel as well as anybody else. He said, don't you ever shun a soul. He said, I don't care if they come into the church filthy. I don't care if their hands are dirty, if they don't have the right clothes on. He said, and please, whatever you do, don't get consumed with last names. And I began to get a revelation. Oh, my God, this is what matters. And in those church services where I'd see these humble giants hit their knees and raise their hands in the presence of God. I am exposed to such deep moves of God. And I've wondered, is it because of our consecration? Is it because we know truth? What is it? And I've noticed it's because we realize who we are in the grand scheme of things. My family, they would hit their knees when there would be a holy cloud come into the room, a holy hush. I'd see my father hit his knees and bow to the ground and begin to pray. And the glory of God would fall. And I've never felt such anointing in all my life. And I remember people would come to me and said, whatever you do, when God anoints you, never get filled with pride. Because all of this will leave. I never got advice to apply for the job that would make me the most money. When I preached my first sermon, I asked my dad, how'd I do? He said, it wasn't good. I could tell you didn't pray. My dad told me when I came back and I had a burden to win souls, he said, well, you can't do it in that sports car. He said, sell it. So I sold it and I went and bought an SUV so I could pick people up for church. They taught me to pray without ceasing. I was told about 27, 28, and 30-day fast. I was told about angelic visits. All I ever got was seek ye first. Seek ye first. Well, mom, dad, I've been seeking. Doors aren't, doors aren't opening. Ask, seek, knock, keep going. Just don't think that you're anything. When a man is focused on the doorframe of the eternal, then you'll see a man that isn't focused on rulers, but rather by being ruled by the presence of God. You'll know them because they'll be as disciplined to prayer and studying the Word of God as they are for studying for a degree. You'll know those people because they'll shout and scream when their kid slides into home base, but they'll shout even more passionately when their kid slide into an altar. You'll know them because they'll celebrate when their kid kills a big monstrous buck to hang on the wall, but they'll celebrate even louder 
louder when their child comes to them and says, I feel like killing this flesh. You'll know them because their voice will be raw from running a touchdown in from the 20-yard line as they cheer on their children, but they'll shout with more fervor when they see their child running aisles. This is what we need to be affirming in this last hour. So what is that eternal door frame? What are we measuring ourselves against? You have one place to look, and this is where we should be spending a lot of our time. If you want to know the door frame you and I should be measured against, we need to look no further than the man Jesus. Luke 2, 52, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Oh, so Jesus was tall. Wait, most assuredly, he said in John 10, I am the door. You want to measure yourself against something? Why don't you come and measure yourself against me? Let me see. Let me see if you're tall enough for ministry. Huh? No, too tall. Oh, you can preach good? No, it's too tall. I, I like that, but that's not my main objective. Oh, okay. You look good. You can teach Sunday school. You're willing. That's good. You're still too tall, though. Where do I want? This is how tall you need to be. That's where I've called my people. You want moves of God? Recognize that that's where we need to be. We need to stop measuring the mark up here and saying, am I marked low enough? Have I been marked low enough? Jesus is the eternal doorframe to which you and I are measured. There was another Saul who shows up in the Bible. He was brilliant. He went to the best school, sat under the best teacher of their time. Saul was set up for success. And much like Saul in the Old Testament, he was also from the tribe of the Benjamites. He met the Lord in Acts 9 when the Lord blinded him. And though blind, he would receive revelation of that eternal doorframe to which he would be measured. I believe it's more than coincidence that the Saul of the Old Testament who refused to let David, the small and ruddy man, be king, this man would ultimately lose his mind, throw himself on his sword, and lose his crown. But in the New Testament, there was another Saul from the smallest tribe, went to the best schools, had the highest education, and he got a revelation of the Lord. And he said, wait a minute, there's a different doorframe. I've been measuring myself against Sadducees and Pharisees and careers and spiritualities. I've been surrounded by men that enlong their tassels, and they tell and they, they go out and they pray long, extravagant prayers. I've been surrounded and taught by those men. Who is this Lord from heaven who would meet me? Who is this man I've heard of, Jesus, who said he was God, and he left heaven to come down here, all the way low down here, and thought himself, himself not robbery, to be amongst men, even though he was God. Who is this man? You know what? I'll let the son, I'll let Jesus from the tribe of David, I'll let him be king. And when I lay down my life, maybe I'll gain a crown. I think in no coincidence that the Bible would rename him after his revelation of who he is against God, the doorframe. And he would no longer be called Saul. He would no longer be the personified highness, but he would be called Paul, which in that language means little one. Huh. Maybe this, this Paul who got a revelation, I have a degree, so I have it. I've sat with the best, but I've compared the Pharisees against Jesus. And there's just no comparison. I'll associate with him. Tell me, Peter, what did he do? He got on his knees. 
He washed feet. Tell me more. What else, what else did he do, Peter? James, you spent time with him. What did Jesus do? No, no, he didn't lay hands on the lepers. That's against our law. Huh. You know, that's, that's provocative. He went to a well with a Samaritan. We don't associate with those people. You're telling me this man said he was God and he came here and did all of that? No, no, that can't be right. Let me take some time. Let me meditate upon this. And for three years, Paul is studying, digging up the word of God and it all lines up. And he thought, I was alive. I was alive and breathing when God walked earth and I missed it because I was so high-minded. He was here and I was so caught up with the Pharisees. I, en I enlonged my tassels. I went out and did long prayers too and I never got to look upon his face. He walked the earth while I was alive Hear this parable right now. Woe to us when we make it up on that day of judgment and we look at him and he says, depart from me. I was on earth that whole time. But you thought you were better than everybody else. I had never left. Where were you, Jesus? I was in the prisons. You didn't visit me. I was naked. You didn't clothe me. I was there the whole time. But you were okay with church. Just not being a church. Paul gives us a glimpse of the grace of God. He said, you didn't meet me, but I'll meet you on the road to Damascus. You'll experience my spirit, but you're going to have to transform yourself from Saul, and you're going to have to take on the identity of Paul, and you're going to have to identify that you're really little in the grand scheme of all this. Don't get caught up in the fact that you'll write two-thirds of the New Testament. Don't get caught up in the fact that you're smart. Through the abundance of the revelations given unto me, he would say in 2 Corinthians, I was given a thorn because God I didn't want my pride to get out of control by all the things he was showing me, so he blessed me with pain. <laughs> Lowly here, but a giant over there. <laughs> we need to start viewing ourselves through the lens of heaven. We're clapping our hands to something that heaven's shaking its head at. And we're shaking our head at things that all of heaven is applauding. Heaven is looking for the low ones. He's looking for the people. He says, I'm going to move in every church service. And here I'm going to offend you. I'll move amongst the Baptists. I'll move where the lowly is. As long as they're preaching my word, as long as they're hungry, I'll meet with them. I'll pour out revelation to them. I'll do it. Don't think you're the only ones, though. My question to this church of 2021 going into 22, who has been doused with humility from a pandemic, we should have been humbling ourselves rather than praying, Lord, remove this thorn from us. We should have been humbling ourselves all along. Have I been visiting the sick? Huh. Have, have I really cared that people have been dying? Have I really cared should be our question. 
When was the last time I fasted when somebody was sick? Because that's when they fasted in the Bible. Not to get power. They didn't, get, they didn't fast to get power in the Bible. They fasted when there was sickness. Because they said, my spirit's weeping. I need to make my body join with it. My, my family over there is empty due to a loss. I need to make my body feel it so that my body never loses touch with what's going on in the spirit. You thought fasting was about getting power. Oh, I got my little two quarters here, prayer and fasting. Let me drop it in. B13, there's my miracle. No. Why do you think Jesus looked at them and said, how come we couldn't cast this devil out? He said, this comes only by prayer and fasting. You haven't sat with his pain. I spent 40 days feeling what he felt. I was tempted of the devil that's been tormenting him. I emptied myself of all food to feel his emptiness. That's why I moved with compassion. I've brought myself low so that I can raise him up. But the pandemic for us has been an inconvenience. Rather than provoking us to depth, compassion, and prayer. Lowly here to be a giant there. This helps me understand a bit better what Paul meant in Ephesians 4.13. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And listen to what this little man Paul says. He says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love. Let's grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ Jesus, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective work by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. I'm coming to a close, musicians. We're in a unique hour, church. We're in a unique moment. And we can rate ourselves. How do I compare against the Pentecostals of Alexandria? Can I just be honest with you? I hate going to conferences sometimes. Because there's this, what I feel in the spirit is the beating of the chest. Look at me. So what did you do last year to grow your church? Nobody asked the question, what did you do to grow your people? How did you help somebody grow into the revelation of the word of God? How did you grow them into reading the Bible more often? No, how many do you have in the room? And that's from a ministry perspective. Amongst lady, you might have questions like, so how many prayer meetings were you in last year? How much did you give? How many days did you fast? Did you read the whole Bible in a year? We're measuring. And all these are good aims. They're great. But what I want to know is, how low did you go this year? And here's what I know in the spirit prophetically. Where we have refused to go willingly, God is going to bring there, bring us there begrudgingly. They will not humble themselves. I want them to have my presence, but I cannot come upon them unless they're humble. So I need to bring them down low. Well, that's not scripture, brother. Go read your Bible. 
Did he not say, blessed are the poor? Did he not say, blessed are the meek? Did he not say, blessed are those who are persecuted? Oh, I love going on social media and typing in, just for fun, I do it every once in a while. I'll go and I'll type in hashtag blessed. That's a fun thing you should try. And see what people think is a blessing. Hashtag blessed, and next to it is their new car. $70,000 Corvette. I'm not making this stuff up. I know preachers that have literally posted this. I know saints that have done it. And I just, I'm a little facetious because I'm, I'm trying to prod and provoke people. I'm trying to spur people to love and good works. Not because I'm perfect, because I'm just, it's just God who, God's hard, hardwired me to be in the end times, evidently. So I asked a young guy who did, hashtag bless, he got a brand new blue Corvette Stingray. And I asked him, I said, that's a beautiful car, bro. He goes, yeah, I'm blessed. I said, uh, I, I wasn't around nobody else. It was just me and him, because I'm not gonna embarrass people. I just said, I said, I'm just curious. Have you given anything to an orphan this year? You could have bought a Kia. Has four wheels. I'm a car guy, so please know that I'm preaching to the choir. Have you sat with a widow? Have you brought a meal to somebody with COVID? Here's an even better question. When was the last time you washed feet? Here, I'm going to give you a little bit of AJ theology. The world is obsessed with washing their hands right now. It's a good practice. But it's really hard to have dirty hands when you're washing people's feet. When you wash feet, you're also cleaning your hands. You're not just cleaning these natural hands, but you're cleaning some spiritual ones too. Do you know where door, the door frame, do you know how tall Jesus was? Brother, come here. Let me show you how tall Jesus was. I want you to take your shoes off. Thank you, Jesus. He was king of kings. Lord of lords. Beside him, there was no other. He was God Almighty. The angels gathered around him and cried, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And for some reason, he sat there on his throne looking down upon the earth, whereupon his feet would be propped on it as a footstool. And he put his feet down and he stood up and he silenced the angels for a moment. He says, not right now. Bring me my lowest robe, Gabriel. And they came to him and he said, flesh. And he put it on and he said, Gabriel, go and announce my coming to some shepherds. Wait, Jesus, you don't, you don't want us to go to Herod? No. Go to the shepherds. Tell them I'm coming. And he goes to some men out there looking at sheep. 
Sheep that can do nothing for them in return, watching day and night, guarding them. And an angel shows up and he says, I am the messenger from God. You're about to get Emmanuel, which means God with us. And God humbled himself. He said, I won't even come as a grown man. I'll be so vulnerable and lowly. I'll come as a babe. I will grow. I'll, I'll experience the full human experience. I want to feel it with you. I want to feel coming out of the birth canal. I want to feel all of it. But he grew in stature. He was God with us. And you want to know where the presence of God is? It was prophesied to us. So sit down for me. In Ezekiel 47. Ezekiel 1, Ezekiel's sitting there as a slave, as a 30-year-old man. He should have been anointed priest that year because you anoint priests at the age of 30. And he sat there next to a river in Babylon. And he's sitting there, and the Lord gives him a vision. And he ultimately sees in Ezekiel 1 and Ezekiel 2, the presence of God left the temple that Solomon prayed and dedicated over. And when Solomon prayed those extravagant prayers in 2 Kings, God told him, he said, that's all beautiful, that's all wonderful. But when I send pestilence amongst you, when I send problems to you, if my people, which are called by my name, this was God's response to his prayer of dedicating the temple, if my people, which are called by my name, would humble themselves, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then... Then, and so Ezekiel sees the presence of God leaving that temple. And then we get to Ezekiel 47. Ezekiel's preached to the nations, repent, they wouldn't do it. Turn, they wouldn't do it. Humble yourselves, they wouldn't do it. And so God says, okay, this generation won't. Now let me give you a glimpse of the future. And that's where we read Ezekiel 47. Ezekiel looks at a temple. And out of the south side of the altar comes trickling out of water. And the angel says, take a measuring stick. <laughs> I want you to measure this eternal water. Measure where it's going. And he went out and he said, that's up to my ankles. That's not that, that's not that impressive. The angel will say, go a little deeper. Read it when you get home, Ezekiel 47. That water was going down towards the east, the Bible said. Do you know where that water ultimately settled? The Dead Sea. Geographically, the Dead Sea is the lowest place on planet Earth. You get no lower than that. And he said, you want to know where the water's flowing? You want to see where that water's trickling down to? measure this. If you got to measure something, because I know you're obsessed with measurements, measure where my spirit's going. And he went out and he said, ankle deep. Okay. He said, go a little lower. He went out and he said, oh, it's, it's knee deep. He said, go a little lower. He went down. It was waist deep. He said, go lower. He went down. And he said, oh, it's a river that can't be passed. And that water went down into the Dead Sea and trees started shooting up. And it literally describes it as Eden, which used to be a low, desolate place. And he says, I'll make Edens out of low places. And here's the name of that city where I'll abide. The last words that Ezekiel would write, here it is. Here's the name of that city. The Lord is there. We want moves of God. You know where he's at? Follow the water. 
I want your presence, God. And he says, go out a little, go out a little lower. Right here, God. Worshiping in the song. And he says, go lower. Okay. Amen in the preaching. Go lower. Church attendance, maybe. Lower. Where are you, God? I want your presence. And the Lord would say, oh, I'm so thankful. Somebody wants my presence. I'll tell you where it's at. Follow the water. God, is it in my tithes and offering? Go lower. Is it in me attending every camp meeting and conference? Lower. I'm right here, Judas. The one who will betray me. I'm going so low that even the enemies get this. <laughs> Where are you at, God? And he's saying, you're looking too high. Your measurements are too up there. Come down here. How do I do that, God? This, is a, this should be the appropriate response. Brother, I want you to wash his feet. This should be the appropriate response. And afterwards, I want you to wash his. What is the response for the church in 2021? God... <laughs> I'm nothing. <laughs> you are everything. <laughs> Is this low enough? <laughs> Should be our prayer. So I'm asking you, and I'll only ask it this one time. Will you lower yourself tonight? <laughs> will you come to terms with your own human fallacy? and say, God, I'm a sinner. But Brother Holloway, I've been in church for 30 years. Yes, even you, because apathy is also part of sin. Right now, I want you to humble yourselves. These altars are open. If you want to run to them, by all means. If you want to pray where you are, I don't care where you pray. But please, don't just stare at me like you are right now. Hit your knees. Humble yourselves. Pray. I'll show you where the presence of God pulls up. It pulls up on people that are willing to hit their faces. If you want to come and wash feet, this water's ready. But Brother Holloway, I don't want to be contaminated. You're still too high. Foot washing is a part of communion. We can eat the bread and drink the wine, and we can partake in his glorified high body, but are we willing to participate with the low body, which is his image here on earth, by washing our brother's feet? You only get a piece of his body when you eat the bread and drink the wine, but you get all of his body when you participate in foot washing. Cry out unto God. Humble yourselves, repent, confess, ask the Lord, what is in me that shouldn't be there? Where are the high places? Because everywhere in your word, I see that you wanted the high places torn down. Where are the high places in this soul of mine? Tear them down. Have you been my aspiration or has it been things of this world? Humble yourselves. Come on. Pray.
Lord is pleased with you. You're a man of God who has humbled himself. The Lord is for you, and He's anointed you with great, great skill. The Lord's going to use you in mighty places. Come on, that's it, church. That's beautiful. That's what the Lord likes to pull up on right there. The objective is simple, humility. But the prize is what's extravagant. His presence always shows up amongst the people who humble themselves. You're going to have an experience with God tonight in a deeper dimension. There's going to be a dimension tonight that changes your life of the presence of God. This is how God loves us right here. He loves it when we humble ourselves and we begin to prostrate ourselves before Him. We do as the angels did. We cry, holy, holy, holy. But in order to do that, the angels had to cover their face because their face matters not in the face of God. That's why we cover our face when we approach Him, because He is divine, not us. We approach a mighty God. You're going to get the presence of God in a deeper dimension tonight. <laughs> 
Yela barobo satala bakiyarara basatara la baha. Yena maromo sondolobo koto yarara basi yarara ye. Yena moroso tori yarala baribi sandara baha. Haya lobo kusandala baye. Oh God. Here Oh, <laughs> Oh God. I want you to stand to your feet. I want you to lift your hands. You won't find in Scripture any angel bragging on their holiness. What you will find are angels with their faces covered, crying out unto His holiness. If you want to know how to worship, we need to develop a lifestyle where we stop bragging on our holiness and we start praising His. So I want you to lift your hands and I want you to do it with, with what heaven is doing right now. There's a host of angels who don't feel worthy to even show their faces in His presence. And they cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I want you to transfer now. Transition to now worship. You've humbled yourself. There's an angel of the Lord in this room who's touched you and says, stand up on your feet and worship him now. I thank you for humbling yourselves. But now that you've humbled yourself in his presence, he's reached out his scepter and he's telling you, he's bidding you come. He's bidding you come into his presence. There it is. There it is. 
God of all the universe, I worship you. Not because I'm worthy to stand in your presence, but because you drew me here. Lord, I worship you. Thank you for allowing me to stand in your holiness. I lift you up on high. I worship your holy name. I worship what you have done to a thousand generations. I praise you. I extol you, God, for you are great. You are mighty. You are loving. You are lowly. You set the example, God. I worship you, for you are holy. Lord, transform me into your image tonight. That's it. That's it. Worship him. Worship him. He's bidding you to come into his presence right now. Come on in this room. There's somebody who humbled themselves tonight who came in here with pain. The Lord's going to heal you, not because you're anything and not to show off, but he's simply saying, you humbled yourself in my presence. I'm bidding you come, and when you come into my presence, that sickness in your body's not going to stay. The Lord's going to heal some back pain right now. The Lord's going to touch somebody's shoulder right now because you noticed yourself in his presence, and you debased yourself to him, and now he's going to touch you here tonight. Well, the Lord's putting upon somebody a burden to serve this city. The Lord's putting a burden on somebody to begin fasting once a week for the lost. I want you to raise your hands and I want you to accept that call from God. I'm going to skip a day of eating on behalf of the hurting in my city. Who in here is going to start praying for the sick of the pandemic? Stop praying for the pandemic to go away and start praying for those that are affected by the pandemic. Somebody needs to start praying for the people that are dealing with depression and are committing suicide because of this pandemic. God is looking for somebody to lower themselves. God's not looking for more people to just learn how to preach and speak. He's looking for people that's going to serve his image. Lower, lower, lower is where we want to go. Lord's putting a burden on somebody to teach Bible studies. Pick it up. Pick it up.